September is Suicide Prevention Month. Several years ago, my friend Gaina Lynn Condi lost her sister Meg to suicide, and ever since, she has worked full-time on suicide prevention. The message that she is so passionate about is, the world is not better off without you. Gaina Lynn is the perfect person to join us for this special mini-ep of the Mom Force podcast. Welcome to the Mom Force, Gaina Lynn. I'm so happy to be with you, Vanessa. I, I love seeing you in person, but I'm grateful technology allows us to have this conversation. Me too. And I am so grateful for the experiences that you've had, albeit they have been quite difficult, that have prepared you to teach so many people on this important topic. Important and heavy and at times even taboo. Why is it so important for us to talk about it so openly and often? Well, let me lead out with some good news. My sister Meg was 40 when she passed and it was nine years ago. And I would say at that point, especially within certain demographics, there was not a lot of these kinds of conversations that we're having today. And now I would say the good news in a really hard space is that there's a lot more voices having conversations. I've written books and spoke on this, and I see the needle moving in the fact that we are having more conversations. That being said, it's a complex issue. And so when we have complex issues, there's not one like magic super solution that we're all seeking for. It's a complex solution as well, which means there needs to be a variety of voices and a variety of conversations so that that destigmatization can continue to happen. The reality is, especially post COVID, that all of us are affected with mental health needs. So either you're struggling or you love someone that struggles or both. And so I think it's a really important question, Vanessa, that why is it still awkward and hard is because part of it is that it's complex. And, and the day that we put Meg's headstone, we placed her headstone was the day Robin Williams died. And I remember in that moment feeling like the whole world globally was experiencing what our family was experiencing, which is suicide grief is a very unique kind of grief. I'm not trying to take away from, I've had two sisters pass. I had a sister die when I was 10 and she was a baby. You know, she was under the age of two. That grief is real, but suicide grief leaves a lot of what if. So to answer your question, I would just say it's because it's so complex. And sometimes, especially like when we look at someone like Robin Williams or Kate Spade or some of these other notable figures that have died by suicide, we think we can identify who is in jeopardy or who is vulnerable. Can we just assume, especially post-COVID, all of us are vulnerable. All of us are dealing with mental health. I think the loss of Twitch last year was proof that even the happiest people that seem to have it all together and you never know what's actually happening. You never know. Yeah. And and, and I think especially for teens, I think it's important, especially to understand that different demographics have different statistics and different vulnerabilities. Teenagers don't have that full frontal cortex. So their decision-making process is within 15 minutes. They're making a decision that changes all their other decisions when it comes to suicide. When we talk about Twitch or Robin Williams, middle-aged men are the number one group dying by suicide. Just like pure numbers wise, they're our most vulnerable group. And often I, when I share that statistic, people say, well, why? 
And I'm going to say, first and foremost, women generally are having these kinds of conversations. We're going to call our girlfriends, Marco Polo, text each other, go on a podcast, right? Um, When I'm traveling, especially if I sit by a businessman that's alone, I often, by the time the flight's over, know more than sometimes their best friends and their family know because they're feeling comfortable telling me, hey, I'm kind of struggling with my mental health. So for the listeners right now that are out there, right, have the conversation with a man in your life and give them permission because I think for men, that decision usually comes from a different place. Addiction, shame, they've let everyone down. And there's this still sense that we are not going to think of them as strong if they're saying they're going to therapy. And yet for me, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, I think there's no greater gift than a, a father coming home at the end of a day and sitting at the dinner table saying therapy was awesome today. Like yeah. that alone changes the family culture and the impact uh, around mental health and normalizing these conversations. Well, the work you're doing by having conversations, facilitating conversations, helping destigmatize this is so important. I think getting the thoughts out of your head, like that's first and foremost. And if you don't have someone that you trust or you feel comfortable opening up to, there are other resources. I know the Suicide and Crisis Hotline, 988. Anyone can call that anytime. Yeah, that's three digits that we just saw a stat last week. Only 18% know about that hotline. So maybe we can say it a couple more times. Before yeah, 988. Nine, there's 911, yes. right? And we know what that's for. And then yes. 988 is the other three-digit number. Yeah, free support at any time. And it creates connection almost instantaneous. And yeah. that's what's needed. You know, in those moments when those thoughts get really dark, really heavy, and we start to believe the lie that the world would be better without us. We all can go there. But yeah. that 988 number is kind of revolutionary because we don't need to remember. It used to be when I would do any social media posting, I had to post this really long number. Now I can just do hashtag 988, yeah. you know, and, and we just need to be talking about it a little bit more. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the example that parents can set for their kids about normalizing therapy. Because some of the things that I've heard you say, mental health is health and therapy is education. Why are those statements so important to you? Well, first and foremost, I would say like we're used to posting about our favorite Netflix show where we're binge watching our favorite, you know, restaurant we just tried, our, our recipe or trip we just went on. And, and I would just say when there's so much content out there about our physical health, for me, mental health is just health. You know, it's not this like scary other part of my life. It's every single day, especially given my family culture and my family dynamics and the loss of Meg. I wake up every day and kind of do a quick check-in. What does my mental health look like and what does support look like? And then the follow-up to that is I'm teacher by trade. I have a degree and I have an LED degree and then a minor in psychology. And I don't believe that education is ever embarrassing. You know, Mm -hmm. if I was to tell you, Vanessa, like, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to work on another degree, you'd be like high-fiving me and celebrating that. And for me, therapy, one, is a very broad term now. Years ago, therapy looked like traditional talk therapy. Therapy today is very... Um, diverse. We have EMDR. We have traditional, still traditional talk therapy. We now have so much telemed. You don't need to get a babysitter. You can take your lunch break at work and go have therapy in the car. No one will even know. I mean, I would invite you to go back after your therapy appointment and tell someone at work about it because that's how we normalize it. And, and when we think about therapy as education, why would we be embarrassed? It's education for our brains and for our relationships and our soul. 
Everyone needs some sort of tool. And I would just say, expand the concept of what therapy looks like in your toolbox. For me, after Meg died, I also deal with chronic illness. So I have a lupus diagnosis and a heart condition. So weekly massages are like non-negotiable, even when we've been unemployed. But after Meg died, the grief was like settling in my body. So I count my massage therapy as therapy, right? No one's embarrassed about that. And so we shouldn't be, we shouldn't just be thinking that somehow if we let a coworker or a family member or a neighbor know that we're in therapy, I think it used to mean a certain thing in our heads. And now can we change that and make it about, we are people that are seeking for education and understanding. I love that. At Chatbooks, we offer free therapy for all of our employees and their dependents. And this is a benefit. Which is so profound. Can I just like, can I just celebrate you? I just, I just love that. It literally makes me want to weep. It changes the world when employers really understand when school districts hire me to come in and they want me to do teacher training, I'm always like, well, we're going to focus on just supporting your teacher's mental health instead of making about what are the teachers going to do for somebody else. So I love hearing this, that you created a culture right there where it's celebrated, it's accessible and there's proximity. It's powerful. It's because I believe as you do that therapy is education. It's been such an important thing in our family and we wanted other families to have access to it because it's tough to get access to. There's such a need and we're still, you know, destigmatizing it and there's a lot of work still to make it available, but those are such important reminders for us, Ganolin. Another thing that I hear you say often is progress over perfection. Because you know, there's so many different aspects to this conversation, like how to help loved ones, how to, you know, get access to resources for other people. But then we have our own selves, you know, to worry about and being able to say, you know what, I need someone to talk to. I need a therapist or, you know, I, I need to make changes in my life that will help support my mental health because, you know, there's a range, right? And before you get to where you're feeling so overwhelmed and desperate just consumed in that all or nothing thinking, there are little things that we can do to support our mental health. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what can we do if we're starting to feel overwhelmed and stuck instead of that progress that we all yearn for? Well, I would say Brene Brown has been a warrior queen in this area of shame, resiliency, and perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And as a recovering perfectionist, I'm always in recovery around it. I know why perfectionism has become a survival tool or protection for me. I know where I came from as a kid. I know the family dynamics that kind of played into that. As a parent, I really tried to intentionally parent around that. For example, I have two children. They're both adults. One's a boy, one's a girl uh, in the same home. They've had different responses to the same general patterning of parenting that we've done in the home. And so I think first and foremost, we're wired, some of us, to be more perfectionistic prone. But my daughter has been really effective in reflecting back to me that one of the parenting tools she appreciated, and this was really for me and for her, all the moms out there that are tired, that have finally gotten the kitchen floor mopped, And that's the moment the kid comes into the kitchen and opens a box of whatever, and it spills everywhere. I mean, we've all had that moment. So I started for my own mental health, having a really quick phrase, which was people or stuff. So the minute something would break, spill, or change my plans, my kids would look at me with that shock face of like, what's mom going to do? And I would Mm -hmm. say people or stuff. And they would have to repeat back people. And that was a signal to both of us to take a breath that there was nothing that couldn't be fixed or cleaned up. 
Now, I did that intentionally for my own healing, my own reparenting, but also for my children, for their perfectionistic tendencies as well. And I've watched both of them try to address it. And interestingly enough, that even as an intentional parent around this, I still see them kind of struggle with that all or nothing, like you mentioned, Vanessa. The the reality of that is for me, the perfectionistic brain tends to make you think you're controlling the vulnerability. Somehow you'll be Mm -hmm. safe. Sometimes we think that if we do everything right, we check all the boxes, the people we love will be safe, that pain won't happen. And one of the beautiful things is that I think the reality is the people I love, the people I admire, the people that inspire me do not check all the boxes. They aren't like perfect. They're kind of messy. Those are the people that are layered and, and beautiful and inspiring. And so why am I so willing to accept this like whole person in my neighbor or my, or my child or my extended family or my friend group, but in myself, I'm not okay with that. And one of the things I love to hear as an author and as a speaker that people say is they appreciate when I'm authentic or real. And yet that takes courage. It's not easy always to show up that way, even though it's really the intersection of where humanity connects. It is scary to feel like if you see me for who I really am, well, will I still be loved? A, a really deep innate need in every person is to feel connected and to feel seen. And you're less likely to feel that way if you are holding up this veneer of perfection. Like I find that connection happens most authentically when I'm just opening up and being honest about the mess. You know, we yes. all have messes in our lives and connection happens as we share and healing that's such a great point. I think I another think the first time I met you that we had that kind of conversation. Yeah, I know. I was like, and we really didn't know a lot about each other. And I was like, I love her so much. And, and we have mutual friends that had said how pure in heart and, and humble you were. And it's what I felt. And so think about that. All the real conversations and connections that we have that are good for our soul usually happen around a really authentic you know, interchange with each other. It's not that, oh my gosh, everything's great. You're fabulous. You look amazing, right? It's, that's, it's not what feeds the soul for me anyways. Every time someone asks, how are you doing? The, it's like the impulse is to be like, so good, so good. But then you're like, actually, do you really want to know? Do you have a minute? Did I just tell you that the other day when I saw you, I was like, do you want the 30 second commercial or do you want the real three hour answer of it's kind of a fruit salad. It's all the things. So embracing the mess, that is Mm -hmm. one of the ways that we can not get mired down in the perfection. I also think finding little wins along the way because life is long, life is messy. You never know what's going to happen. There are curveballs coming left and right. I've heard you talk a little bit about the micro yes. Tell us a little bit about the magic of the micro yes. Yes. And you know what? It's so funny. I had a friend that um, shared this with me and then I've done some deep dive research on it. It's pretty powerful. It is literally psychology today describes it as the smallest yes that you can give without having a neurological response or trigger. So think about the mom that is dealing with postpartum and had little sleep with a new baby and has made it through the day somehow. And now the school kids are home and she's got to make dinner. And she's just like, I don't have it in me. I've been there. I mean, I've been there with, (laughs) with little kids, with financial worries, with lupus and chemotherapy treatments. I remember many days where it's like, 
I don't even know how. And, and really the moms of today are getting a lot of information about the quality of the food and the plastic that they're cooking in. I mean, there's so many hoops that you feel like you're jumping through and you're just in survival mood. And so here you are trying to figure out how do you just get through the rest of the day till it's bedtime and you can get the kids down. A micro yes example would be maybe cooking dinner completely shuts you down, but you can boil water. And then once you boil the water, can you open a package of noodles? Yep. And then can you open a jar of sauce? Mm -hmm. My friend Christy shared this example literally with me that that all of a sudden she had dinner. And so when I did a deep dive into it, there's other versions of this same principle. I have a, a son in college and for those that deal with ADHD and are prone to maybe OCD or anxiety or perfectionism, this is a really powerful mental health tool. Instead of looking at your to-do list, consider what your next win will be. And when we reframe it that way, that's another way of saying the micro yes. What's the next yes you can do? Now, I teach this principle also that no's are just as important as yeses. Sometimes, especially as women, we think we should be the yes machine. We're saying yes to everyone and everything. And the no's are just as powerful. But the micro yes specifically is say you're overwhelmed cleaning your house. Can you make your bed? You know, Mm -hmm. and then how does that feel for you? Can you load the dishwasher? It's a powerful tool of doing the next thing. And I would say a suggestion for those with neuro differences, setting a timer is super helpful because I know for my loved ones that deal with ADHD, ADD, or neuro differences, it's the overwhelm of like, this is painful and it's going to go on forever. So I often suggest set a 20 minute timer. Or for me, mm-hmm. I listen to Christmas music. So what, how many yeses can you get done in one Christmas song? And I will listen to Christmas music in July because it changes my neurological yeah. response. And I know my that mom does the crazy. same. Yeah. No, no, no. My mom does the same. I walk in <laughs> yeah. her house and she's blaring Michael yeah. Buble's Christmas yes. album. Yes. Like, you do yeah. you, mom. <laughs> Even when I do light therapy during the winter months to help with my uh-huh. seasonal depression, because where we both live, it gets yeah. kind of muggy, gross in January, February, and you never see the sun. I will listen to Christmas music while I'm doing uh, light therapy. It's very paradoxical, but it explains a lot about me. But I would just Amazing. say you you have ways in which just that simple yes to the music, yes to the vacuuming, yes to the whatever, instead of that all or nothing thinking that we've already talked about. It breaks it down into these doable yeses. Small micro yeses create a compound interest in your life. This last summer has been a really tough summer for me. And, you know, after nine, 10 years of writing books and speaking on these subjects, I like to share on social media pretty authentically. I don't just talk and write about it. I'm living it too. Mm -hmm. And I had to really practice some of these tools because there were days I'm a new empty nester that I thought, if I don't get out of bed, no one will know, you know? Yeah. And my dog would, my dog would start to probably bark and want to be taken out. But I really had to practice the power of the micro yes. Like, what is the yes I could say today? Because there were a lot of endings, a lot of change, and some grief that was pretty heavy the last few months. And so... I'm just going to validate those out there that are having some struggle at such a deep personal level that they're not sure how to get out of bed. 
I don't want to oversimplify some of the complex mental health needs that are happening in the world. And if you haven't dealt with that, if you haven't dealt with chronic anxiety or chronic depression, or you're, you never dealt with postpartum depression in the way that you're, you're having really intrusive thoughts, this is real stuff that people are yeah. facing. And it may look like on Sunday or at work or at church or or at the park that that mom in your group is doing great because she's got the cutest new whatever outfit on Amazon on and her kids have matching bows in their hair. But I've come to know that all of us have got a battle going on somewhere in some area of our lives. And I just want to I want to acknowledge the the man or the woman listening right now that is like, I, I don't know if I can say yes to anything. And so I hope if it's just to sit on your porch, if it's to text a friend, if it's to brush your hair, I know that sounds simple, but all of these things are ways in which you interrupt the neurological response that you're having. Yeah. I think if we could just ask for one yes, that is to stay in your body. Amen. No matter how bad it gets, there are resources, there are tools, there are people that want to help and can help. Thank you so much, Galen, for sharing your experience and and being such a voice for goodness on this topic. Thanks for having me. And yeah, my life isn't better without my sister, Meg, but I'm so grateful to share her story and the experiences of our family to have these kinds of conversations. If one person listens to our chat today and feels like they can say yes to therapy in a different way or, or get out of bed or, you know, go for a walk. Um, sometimes that's the only way that I know to foster hope. It's choosing the next plan B, plan C, plan D. It's not a feeling. It's a, it's a choice to do the next micro. Yes. If people want to learn more about the work you're doing, Gainalyn, where they can, where can they find you? Well, when your parents give you the strangest name on the planet, it's pretty easy. <laughs> Google knows exactly how to find me. But how um, do you spell it? How do you spell it? It's G-A-N-E-L-L-Y-N, Gainalyn. And all the links to my social platforms are on my website, Gainalyn.com. It means a lot for you to create this space and time so that we could have this conversation. I'm really grateful. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Well, I'm so grateful for Gaina Lynn and her advocacy and encouragement. And I'm also so grateful for you listeners. I wanted to share a recent review of the podcast that made me so happy. Vanessa and her guests bring so much wisdom in every episode. I always feel encouraged and empowered with actionable steps and tools. And I recommend this show to literally everyone I know. (laughs) That's so nice. And while I'm at it, let me share this review about chat books. In this modern era of digital sharing, we're actively losing our memories by not printing them. But not anymore. Thanks, chapbooks. Fan for life. Wow. Thank you to anyone who ever leaves us a review. Every one of them means so much to me and our entire chapbooks team. And thank you for being here and for being part of the Mom Force.